Well, good morning. Appreciate you having us, although none of you had anything to do with us being here, but we thank you anyway. Uh, as we were listening to the stories the last couple of days, uh, I think we basically concluded that we have nothing new to say, so we're just going to say what they said. Thank you. We're not kidding. We have nothing new to say, but we thought that's not going to work, so we came up with a new plan. Interpretive dance. It seemed like a better plan last night. We're going to tell our story through an interpretive dance, if that's okay. Maestro? No. But really, as we listened to those stories all the last two days, we couldn't help but feel like a part of us was in every one of those stories. Everything we felt, everyone that shared, we had something similar in our story. And so the only thing that's different really are the names, the people involved. And, and maybe it looks a little different for us, but pretty much the same stories. Now, April really does not like to speak publicly, so that was, that was pretty big. This is pretty exciting for us. And, uh, but she's up here to make sure I get the story right as, as, as I tell the story. Uh, we were college sweethearts, met at Palm Beach Atlantic University down in South Florida. Any PBAers? Anybody from Texas? <laughs> Woo! I think you can say that anywhere in the country and you'll get, you'll get somebody who's from Texas. But we started, we've been married 17 years, but it was about 10 years ago. And I was sharing this with some guys this morning who were really the first people that I think I've ever met who've actually read this book as well. And it's Money, Possessions, and Eternity. How many people have ever read Money? Oh, wow. We got to come to this more often. These are our people. So, so I read Money, Possessions, and Eternity, about 500 pages of it, and, and I remember coming home from a business trip, and, and I said to April, I said, I think we're supposed to give more money. And at that time, many of you are familiar with the Bob Coy talk, talks about being a tickled tither. I didn't, I didn't know that I was a tickled tither, but I was a tickled tither. April, we were both tickled tithers, and we were just kind of plodding along, but as things were going along, my income was growing, everything was going really well with, with the practice, and... I said, I think we're supposed to give more money. And so I said, well, I don't want to influence you, and I don't want you to influence me, so let's pray separately, and we'll write down on a piece of paper, we'll literally write down how much money we're supposed to give. And so it was like this negotiation. We went away for, well, we didn't go away, but we prayed separately for a week, and then we exchanged papers, and they said... 15%. So we said, okay, we'll start giving 15%, but as God would have it, our income grew by a much greater margin than the extra 5% we gave. So the next year, it was around New Year's, and we've never been New Year's resolution people. I think this is the only time we ever made a New Year's resolution. So we, we did it again. We prayed separately. We came back together, and this time we wrote down we would give 20% of our income. So this is about eight years ago, and so we're doing this, and we do this for a couple of months. And then I read the cliff notes to Money, Possessions, and Eternity, the treasure principle. And I read the treasure principle, and I couldn't put it down. It's only 100 pages, but I, I couldn't put it down. I read it in one sitting. And now I've got to tell my wife, I think we're supposed to cap our life. And she's come along the journey so far. She's been great. She's, she's doing everything's wonderful. But I go, and I, and I look, and I think, how am I going to tell her this? So I decide I'm going to tell her when we're on I-95 so, so she won't hurt me. But I'm going to tell her, I think we're supposed to not just cap our life where we're spending now, because we're frankly spending too much money, 
because a thought hit me. And I wasn't making this at the time, but I said, you know, the way things are going, there's a pretty good chance. I don't know what the odds are, but there's a chance that we could be making a half a million a year, a million a year, or whatever. Technically, in what we do, there's no limit. I said, what good would it be for us to give 200000 and live on eight hundred? Do we need $800,000 to live on? When we got married, we lived on about 30000 Now, we didn't have children, and we lived in a one-bedroom, and we did all those things, but I don't know, we seemed pretty content. And as, as David Platt was talking about 1 Timothy 6, godliness with contentment is great gain, that, that was a verse that was very uh, uh, big in my life at that time. Where was our contentment coming from? And through the study of the treasure principle, there were two keys in the treasure principle that really stuck in my crawl. And that was, God prospers me not to increase my standard of living, but rather my standard of giving. And the other one was the only antidote to materialism is generosity. I didn't like that I was becoming materialistic. April and I both grew up in middle-class homes. Uh, uh, we, didn't, we didn't really have a lot, but we didn't really want for a lot either. We had food and clothing and all those things, and with those things, we should have been content. And so we're on I-95, and, and I say to April, I say, I think we're supposed to cap our lifestyle. And she says, What does that look like? And I say, I have no idea. I don't know anybody who does this. Yeah, this wasn't very comforting for her. We didn't come to meetings like this where there were 400 other people who have actually read Money, Possessions, and Eternity. Get a life, would you, please? <laughs> and I, thought, I really thought I was the only, I, thought I was one of the few people in the country who actually read that book, so that's good to know, but we didn't know anybody who was doing this. And so it began, a, it began a, a, if you will, this, this um, incredible thirst, this desire, this hunger to see what the Scripture said about money. And so Matthew 6 became a very... Uh, very important chapter of the Bible in our lives. And really looking at it and saying, look, do I, don't, do I want to store up my treasures here or do I want to store them up in heaven? Do I want to store them up where the, wrath and, or the moth and the rust is going to destroy or do I want to store it where it's not? Are we really going to believe that Jesus is truthful when he says that even the lilies of the field are clothed, that even the sparrows have food? Do we truly believe that? So we began to do that. We began to, we basically made a decision, I guess around that day. It took a, we, we went through our budget and started trimming the fat and trimming stuff out. And we made this decision to cap our lifestyle. And we haven't figured it all out. We probably still mess up quite a bit. And, but we're just kind of going along. But here's what's interesting. At the time when we made that decision, we have three daughters today. They're 12, 9, and 7. But at the time, we had two little girls, four and two. And we had a, a baby on the way. And we had no, if you asked me then, hey, what's this going to look like in eight years? I, I, I would have had any idea. But now we fast forward and we see the impact that it's had on our children. We see the impact that we've been able to have in our friends' lives. And, and Bob mentioned before we've been hosting some jogs. We did a jog last August. We're doing one next week. But the stories that have come out of those events have been tremendous for us. Because frankly, for us, our story is boring. We know our story. We're living our story. But when we get to invest in our friends and they come back and they tell us these stories, it's an incredible, incredible experience. But where we're really seeing it is in our, in our children's lives and just how they've been impacted. About three years ago, and as we were listening to their story last night, about the, the husband and wife and how he had been attacked. I wasn't 
attacked in that way, but we went through something for about a year, not, of, not our fault, just something that happened, someone we trusted, and it literally devastated us financially. For about a year, we didn't make any money, literally made zero. And it was during that time, and, and I would never wish that on anybody, but at the same time, I would absolutely wish it on everybody. Because the way that we grew in our relationship, the way that we grew in our trust of, of, of the Lord and his provision, and not in our own abilities, and, and, and what came out of that was just absolutely tremendous. I personally learned that it's okay to accept, to receive. You see, we had gone from being the givers. We had be, gone from being the ones who provide the solutions to now being the ones who needed something, to being the ones who needed to receive. Oh, that was hard. That was very, very hard. I'm sure if I asked you to raise your hand and ask you, is it hard for you to receive? Most of you, your hands would go up. Almost as many people who live in Texas, probably. But <laughs> you, it's just hard to receive. But I learned in that period that it's okay to receive. And I know for April, it was a time for her to learn. And she learned something pretty powerful. I'm a weeper. He's a jokester. I'm a weeper. So um, for Steve, it was about learning not to rely on himself and about how um, God didn't always need him to be the giver. But for me, it was about just trusting because I could so identify with Kari. I was the one writing the checks for our family. And when what we made a decision was while we wouldn't be doing spontaneous giving, we would continue to support the ministries and the families that we were supporting because we felt that it, we, we couldn't double the tragedy of we had no income, so we completely knew what that felt like. We couldn't take it away from people who were um, doing God's work out, and we just couldn't take away their support. So every month when I wrote the checks, I was like, I don't know how this is going to come out. I don't, I, okay, but I don't know where this money's going to come from. But every time we'd get something in the mail, we would get something from somebody we thought we were going to, um, due to the financial situation, we thought we were going to have to actually pay taxes. We usually try to get it so we can not have to pay taxes. We got a refund. And I was like, what? No, you said we were going to pay. And but um, so I, what I really learned was that God wasn't sitting up there going, oh no, what's going to happen? <laughs> I was, but he wasn't surprised. He knew exactly. Who's the jokester now? <laughs> he knew exactly what, he knew exactly what was going on. He knew exactly what he was planning on doing. And if I learned, I, I just, I learned trust and faith and that when God tells you to do something that, He's going to come through and give you what you need to do what he told you to do. And so as we got through that, now we fast forward a couple of years and as God would have it, and let me, let me be clear, this is not a prosperity theology at all, but he provides. And I look today, and, and I think probably one of the other things that came out of that situation that we learned was, I think the hardest part was we lost the ability to give spontaneously. Our favorite giving is the off-the-grid giving. 
We heard some of those stories uh, this week. And we love to just hear of a need and be able to fulfill a need, whether it's giving a car or, doing, or, or giving a small amount to someone, leaving a large tip. One of the things we've done is, as I mentioned before, we've engaged our children in this process. And some of you probably heard these stories around the country last year at Christmas time. I had, I had read in the newspaper that people were paying off layaway. I thought, what a great way to engage our children. This would be something tangible. We do the compassion child, and they give offering at church. But what a great way to introduce them to spontaneous giving. So we did. I went to the girls, and I said, girls, your mom and I are going to do this thing. We'd love for you to participate. No pressure. Um, but if you don't, you can't date till you're 25, <laughs> which they can't do anyway, but they don't know that. So, so, but they, they went to their, and they have, and we, we teach them to give and save and, and have a spending account. And so they went to their spending accounts, which they had accumulated some funds in. And each of them, without asking their other sister what they were giving, gave somewhere about half of what they had in their spending account. And so we took that little bit of money and we, we took ours and we went and did some of this stuff. And we just had a great time doing it. And sometimes we wonder, you know, and, and you have children, you know, am I getting through to the kids. All right. I mean, it's amazing. We have the three daughters. Okay, so they're all girls. Same DNA. Same house. They're growing up in the same time era, yet they're all so different. How is this possible? But they're all getting it in their own way. And I brought, I just wanted to close with this. This was something that my nine-year-old daughter uh, wrote. It's an, it's, a, it's an essay. She had to write a three-page essay on what she wanted to be. And so she and my wife, I come home and April gives me and says, you have to read this. Well, I'm excited. When my wife tells me I have to read it, it's pretty good. So I start reading it. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I start reading it and I realize it sounds pretty self-centered. It's about being a movie star. I'm not impressed. And April can tell by my face as I'm reading, I'm going, okay, and I'm getting through. She says, keep reading, keep reading. So I get to the end. And this is what my little Abby, and I'm supposed to read this because I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not the crier, but I don't know that I'm going to be able to get through this. She says, uh, you may think that, oh, the best part of being a movie star is to keep all the money. But no, it's about giving it to people who really need it. A movie star can be a lot of work. All the fame in movies, like I said before, making millions of dollars is not just the best part. The best part is to give your money away to the people who really need it. And that lets us know, even though we haven't figured it all out, I think we're on the right journey. Thanks for your time.